certain maybe. Title of this message is A Great Day is Coming. I'll try to fit everything into uh, two hours, but I've pared it down to about one hour. But we'll see, because sometimes I cut my burden. All the words that come that come across the heart. So a great day is coming. One of the questions we used to hear on the holy days is, why are you here? Why are you here? Today in particular, this is the Feast of Tabernacles, and you might wonder, what does it all portray? What does it mean to us? How do we observe it? And where is it all leading? And what will we take home when we leave the Feast? We'd like to begin in the book of Nehemiah. The Lord gave us this feast to remember the ancient Israelites who dwelt in booths. In Nehemiah chapter 8, the walls of Jerusalem, first of all, the walls of Jerusalem were completed. And so the people were gathered there in Jerusalem. And it was then that Ezra brought out the book of the law and he read it to the people. And it was a long reading, so I'm not going to try to cover all of that's included in that, but just a few verses from Nehemiah chapter 8. And they found written in verse 14, and they found written in the law which the Lord had commanded by Moses that the children of Israel should dwell in booths in the feast of the seventh month. And that they should publish and proclaim in all their cities and in all in Jerusalem, saying, go, go forth unto the mount and fetch olive branches, pine branches, myrtle branches, and palm branches, and the branches of thick trees to make booths as it is written. So did you do that? Probably not. But the people went forth. And brought them, and they made themselves booths, every one upon the roof of his house, and in their courts, and pine branches of Rebekah, and in their courts, and in the courts of the house of God, and in the street of the water gate, and in the streets of the gate of Ephraim. Now, I remember a long time ago, and listening to a sermon, where at that time there was a political thing going around called Watergate, so that kind of reminds me that was going on at that time. In verse 17, but all, and all the congregation of them that were come again out of the captivity made booths, and they sat under the booths. But since the days of Yeshua, the son of Nun, until that day had not the children of Israel done so. And there was very great gladness to recall the meaning of what the, they were doing. So also, day by day, and from the first day until the last day, he he read in the book of the law of God, and they kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day was a solemn assembly according unto the manner. Now, we know that history shows that God's people have had their ups and downs. They were always in need of revival and remembering the past, where they came from, and where they're going. And we sometimes forget the presence of the Lord in our busy lives. 
sometimes that we just forget to give proper praise and worship and thanks for being blessed in so many ways. But we know that there is much more that is to come, that there is a great day coming and rehearse and we rehearse that coming day. So in a look ahead to what this feast sets before us, let's go to the book of Zechariah now. Chapter 14. And you find a law that was read by Ezra still holds. Verse 1. Behold the day of the Lord comes, and your spoil shall be divided in the midst of you. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished, and half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from that city. So when you look at the joyful rejoicing that we have today, it's tempered by some of the things that lie ahead. Because even in this verse 2, we see a great event that is going to transpire. Verse 3, but we're comforted with these words. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. And his feet shall stand upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem, on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst toward the east before the west, and there shall be a very great valley, kind of hard to picture for some of us. And half of the mountain shall be moved to the south, that's that picture, and half toward the north. And so we'll see this all happen. And you shall flee to the valley of the mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach unto Hazel. Didn't look that up on where you shall flee, like as you fled from before the earthquake in the days of Isaiah, king of Judah, and the Lord my God shall come, and all the saints with you. So when he, Christ stands on that Mount of Olives, all the saints shall be with him. You, me, everybody that we know who are in this way. And it shall come to pass that day, and the light shall not be clear, nor dark. But it shall be one day which shall be known to the Lord, not day nor night, but it shall come to pass at evening time, it shall be light. So kind of wrap your minds around that. We have daylight savings time, and it's going to change, you know, and uh, quick. It's going to be light when it was dark. So, But it, there's a lot of great things, great things, events that are going to happen. And it shall be in that day that living waters shall go out from Jerusalem, half of them for the former sea and half of them for the hinder sea in summer and in winter shall it be. So we see that there's going to be seasons also. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. And that's what we look forward to in this day and age when everything seems like it's going out of whack. Verse 10, all the land be turned as a plain, and I'm going to skip on down to uh, verse uh, 16. I'm going to read all of this because if I read all of this, I'll fall asleep. And it shall come to pass that every one that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. So we see it is a feast that is going to keep on going. 
shall be that whoso will not come up of all the families of the earth unto Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, even unto them shall be no rain. And we know what it's like to not have much rain here in Oklahoma. And we had that blessing just the other day. We had a little bit of drizzle, a little bit of rain, and it felt good to me. I told uh, I think it was Mike Anderson that I'm hoping it rains, and if it does, I'm just going to lay flat on the ground and open my mouth and let it just drip down on me. Sorry, I can't keep that promise. I didn't keep that promise. But the family of Egypt, if the family of Egypt go not up and come not, that have no rain, there shall be the plague, wherewith the Lord will smite the heathen that come not up to keep the feast of tabernacles. So in that day and time, people are going to have a choice. And they're going to make the wrong choice, as we see from this scripture here. And this shall be the punishment of Egypt, and the punishment of all nations that come not up to keep the feast. So we see that this feast is a binding mandate for uh, God's people. Now, I ask, and we've heard it before, why are we here? It's the reason is you know, simple. If you double up Leviticus 23, verses 33 and 34, it's all spelled out for us. Verse 33, And the Lord spoke unto Moses and said, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, The fifteenth day of this seventh month shall be the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days. And then, in Leviticus 23, verses 39-43, we read where Moses gave the people some instructions that the Lord gave him. He said in verse 39, Also, in the fifteenth day of the seventh month, when ye have gathered in the fruit of the land, ye shall keep the feast unto the Lord seven days. On the first day shall be a Sabbath, and on the eighth day shall be uh, a Sabbath. So we know that this eighth day is referring to that last great day. And it is a feast day, a holy day, all its own, and it also has uh, its meaning. Verse 40, And ye shall take you on the first day the boughs of goodly trees, branches of palm trees, and the boughs of thick trees, and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. Rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. So, you know, this is the third day of the feast. And we rejoice in different ways, I suppose. But he's saying, bring these boughs with you, these branches, which is going to be used for the construction of those, of those boots, those temporary boots. And you shall keep it a feast unto the Lord seven days in the year. We keep saying this number seven all the time. It shall be a statue forever in your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month, and you shall dwell in booths seven days. All that are Israelites born shall dwell in booths, that your generations may know what? That they may know that I made the children of Israel to dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. And the Egypt are often referred to as, as sin, symbolic of sin. And he says, I am the Lord, your God. Now, what are these booths? Are you living in one here at the feast? I'm still beside our brick house. But booths, we know, are temporary dwellings, temporary shelters. And it's known in the Hebrew as, by the word sukkah. It's seen as a 
meant to remind the people of the hardships of the children of Israel that they endured in the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. You know, sometimes that group would hunt with ill hair, and when the rains came or when the winds blew, it wasn't very comfortable. So it had to be constructed well. So, but seen as a ritual object, a building, and that the sutra makes a connection between the material and also the spiritual. And you shall rejoice, and you see this, underline this, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. Imagine if we had built this building out of that material, and we were out there in the rain and it rained the other day. Uh, you know, some of that rain is going to come through. Some of that wind is going to blow through. So you had to put all those together. that generation who heard those words spoken firsthand by Moses. And today, you're keeping, we are keeping this feast as commanded. And you're here to remember that those ancient Israelites at one time dwelled in booths. And we come to the, you know, to the knowledge also that these booths also represent us as temporary dwellings. So here we are, the third day of the, of, of the Feast of Tabernacles, which is often referred to as the Feast. The third day. Now that seems pretty fast. I, there in the meeting before we, uh, before we came out here, it was remarked that there was a, a one-strap income. Welcome, it's the sixth day of the feast. And you think, I probably exaggerated on that one. You know, sometimes the feast can get by you before you know it, and like this third day, it's still going pretty fast. But anyway, they all looked at him and thought, well, you know, it's not the sixth day, it's the third day, but when you said that, it makes you feel better that it's the third day or the second day or whatever it was. So we get a little feeling sometimes of rejoicing just by sometimes the remarks that people make. And I would probably make a lot of remarks that to me are funny, maybe to you. But to you may not be. Those of you who know me, you know I'm kind of uh, like that. But here we are on the third day of the feast. Now, when one spoke of the feast, the feast, everyone knew what feast they were referring to. When one spoke of that, they meant the feast that was the highlight of the year. It's a timely journey, a time to go and see the beauty of the different uh, countryside, the rivers, the streams, and to have adventure. And wherever today, you know, God's, that God's Spirit has led us to this place. We welcome those who are, who are here, who made the decision to have a feast here because this is where God said, well, this is where we'll have the feast this year. And for many, the feast means adventure. And 
means leading people, and it means fun, and it means eating out in restaurants or, or what the church provides, or it means ziplining, if you like ziplining. So I, I've seen a lot of these adventures, and I'm really too old to participate in drawing them. My mind says, you can do it, you can do it. But my body says, no. Now, we eat in these restaurants, and probably fancy ones, not at home. But anyway, we don't bring our cattle or herds along with us to the feast as we know was first done. But I imagine that in the world to come, when we meet those who observe the first feast of tabernacles there in the wilderness, and they ask us, how did your feast go? It's almost, in a way, embarrassing and humbling to tell them, well, before the Lord, because sometimes as we go along in a feast, there are some things that just upset us, because, you know, we're human. We have human nature. We might have a pain in our in our back or, or something of that, and it's hard to rejoice when you're, you're not feeling well. Rejoice before the Lord, it says. In Deuteronomy chapter 16, 12 through 14, it says, You shall remember that you were a body in Egypt, and you shall observe and do these statutes. You shall observe the Feast of Tabernacles seven days. After that, you have gathered in your grain and your wine, and you shall rejoice in your feast. Rejoice, you know, seven days, rejoice. And your, uh, you, your son, your daughter, your manservant, your maidservant, the Levite, the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow that are within your gates. Every large 
city or town at the time, you know, had these walls that, that housed the community within. And but joy was to characterize that seven-day festival with the provisions of their harvest. And the ideal celebration is for all the family to and all the servants to to go to the feast and be joyful in their deliverance from Egypt. In our case, we can look back and see that, but it's our deliverance from sin that we can be grateful and thankful for and take joy, joy in. Seven days, verse 15, shall you keep a solemn, that is, a pilgrim feast, you shall keep a pilgrim feast unto the Lord, your God, in the place which the Lord shall choose. Because the Lord your God shall bless you in all your increases and in all the works of your hands. Therefore, you shall surely rejoice. So, your attendance here is going to bring a lot of benefit. It may be spiritual, it may be material, it may be good fortune. Who knows? So, it's good that we are here. You know, we save up for the feast. In ancient Israel, it may have been too long a distance to herd cattle, so it, it can be sold in return in return for cash. In Deuteronomy 14, verse 26, an interesting scripture here, it says, And you shall bestow, that is, present as a gift or contribute or donate or give that money for whatsoever your soul lusts at. For strong drink, or for whatsoever your soul desires. So, in our keeping of the feast, we remember certain events that happened. Perhaps I, I remember the first feast that I went to, my, my wife and I. And where, when I see this word "strong drink," it reminds me of something. Um, our first feast was back in 70. Now, my wife and I, we never touched alcohol, but when we came into this church, we noticed brethren with shiny bottles and labeled them, which was wine, and they were taking it to the feast. At one evening, there near Lake Mona, near the campground there, I was sitting with some men, gentlemen, so they offered me a drink in a little cup. I looked at it. It was clear. It was liquid. And I heard the, the word moonshine mentioned. I think that's what they called it. And I heard about it. Sure enough, you held it so that you, know, you could see the moon reflecting in it. So maybe that's where we got the name. And, well... Small sip, a little small sip, and it hit me, and I knew what they meant by quite rightly. My eyes bulged out, and I did a little backward double flip. My ears still ring, and it made me say, Heidi Ho. 
true. So it's true. You know, some can handle strong grief, but I never did begin to handle it. So, so in my opinion, it's not good for strong grief. So, you youngsters, when you're listening to this, you know, just don't even take a sip of anything if you're not sure. Maybe a Pepsi or Coke or stuff like that. But stay away from the strong drink. Feast of Tabernacles is a culmination of what the spring feast began. And again, this feast is observed in the seventh month, which follows the Day of Atonement, and also the Feast of Trumpets, all in the seventh month. And so that's the great, uh, the last great day. Seven, we know, is the number of completion, and we see the feast as the, uh, the culmination of the Holy Day season. So, from the scriptures that we that we read, in keeping this piece of tabernacles for seven days, we are to remember when God had the children of Israel dwell in booths as they wandered to the promised land. So, in the feast, we will learn a few things. Some things that will stick in your mind, but probably not in others. We learned that the, that Egypt is a type of sin from which the Lord delivered them. God, our Savior. And two, by keeping the, this feast, we are reminded that our physical life, our time, is temporary. And we see it in the ritual uh, object of, of those booths. We are like tents that wear out. And we also learn that this feast of tabernacles, like the other holy days, is a rehearsal that looks forward to the peaceful and joyful kingdom that is yet future, wherein dwells righteousness. And that is also the goal, rejoicing in the righteousness of the Lord and learning more about what righteous, righteousness should mean to us. So, for many of us, the feast is also a time of reconnecting to people, our life that we once knew, to help edify one another and help them, as well as us, to stay on track the kingdom of heaven. In the writing of the Apostle Paul in the book of Colossians, we read where it says in Colossians 3, verse 16, uh, 17, it says, Let no man therefore judge you in meat, or in food, or in drink, or in respect of a holy day, or of the new moon, or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come. A shadow of things to come. Now, concerning the holy days as a shadow things to come, we still see through glass darkly. We know that when that a shadow is only a shape without the details. But eventually, we come to see that it is Jesus and His righteousness that becomes the focus of the holy days that we celebrate, even as it does in the particular steps that is laid out for us as the steps toward the kingdom of heaven and salvation. But as it is written, says the scripture, verse 1 Corinthians 2 9, I have not seen nor ear heard the things that God has prepared for them that love him. So we know that there are glorious wonders that are still 
our help. We may imagine for Paul and the apostles and all believers in Christ at that time that this is certainly true because when they await in the resurrection and see all that has transpired since their time to our times today, there will be wonders that they will see. The Hebrew word for feast is tag. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. It's spelled K-H-A-G. It is a word that stems from another word that means festival. And that word comes from another word that means to move in a circle, to march in a sacred procession, which by implication means to be giddy, to dance, to reel, to enjoy. I heard many years ago of one feast site where this meaning was literally practiced. If I had to dance to be giddy, I wouldn't make up a whole thing. Of course, I might, it might be amusing to others and they would find joy in that. But every feast we know is celebrated in different ways, in joyful ways, with different things to see. But again, the aim of the feast is to rejoice before the Lord. Sadly, there are many who did not make it to the feast this year or in this one. But they are asleep. Their spirit has gone back to the Lord. Our loved ones that are, are not with us anymore. We know where they are. But their work and everything about them has ceased. And they are unaware of the passing of events that are now transpiring among us now, now taking place. But we know that in the twinkling of an eye, the moment they close their eyes in death, they will awaken in a split second in a time and place, yet future. I've had some close calls in my life. The first time I was ever not silly was I was foolishly, when I worked at uh, the college there, I was hitting the racquetball, waiting for sections of the shore to drive, and I just remember the ball coming close to the wall and the swing, and that was it. And uh, my uh, partner, who was on the other handball court, saw me coming and said I was staggering. And what I said to him was, I said, I think I can knock that. I cannot collapse to the floor. So, you know, in a way, in a twinkling of an eye, you go from one place in time to another. And I'm glad that there was no flame before me. But they will awaken in a split second in time and place, yet future. Centuries may have passed, or years, or months, or minutes, or hours, whatever. So we look forward to that great day that is coming, that eighth day also, that will uh, likely be talked about in the passing end of this feast of tabernacles. Now, it was also 18 days ago that we observed the Feast of Trumpets, which reminded some of the past and the future of, of blowing of, of trumpets. I won't go through all that. But the trumpets sounded in various ways throughout the day, with various lessons each trumpet pointed to. You know, for, for example, the calling of the Lord and through His assembly, the sound of warning, the call to spiritual battle, the call to move forward to the promised land, and so on. 
so we can connect the day of service to the growing of service that we see that is going to be grown in, in the book uh, that is listed in the book of Revelation, the seven trumpet blasts. And in the trumpet, however, that, that last trumpet that sounds, that great trumpet for the, resu- for the resurrection of the dead is a joyful event that is yet to happen. And then those who are in Christ will see our loved ones again, even after that, as the last, last great day will, will point out. First Corinthians, I see. In section one, here comes section two. Okay, first Corinthians fifteen. Behold, I show you a mystery: we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Look at this: we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. Shall be changed. We live in a corruptible body. We live in a tent that is wearing out as the years go by. Our structure is, in a way, collapsing. You know, we put on the green boughs and all that. It eventually dries out. And sometimes I think about that. I love cleaning it. Living slightly. So we shall all be changed. For this corruptible, we must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So we know that our bodies have, by nature, is weak. It's not strong. We need uplifting. We need uh, something that will keep us, you know, from drifting. Uh, my wife was telling me that she had read uh, uh, about uh, Saul, who kind of gave up on anything, any message from the Lord or the prophets that came to him. It just somehow did not really excite him, so he turned to uh, to wizards uh, who you know drew these uh, these uh, figures and started calling upon the Lord. So we know that this trumpet sound that shall sound, the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. And you know this is a we have part in that first resurrection that is to come. And it says there, blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such, on such the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Now that is, that is one of our aims, to be uh, first in that thousand year uh, period called the millennium that, we, uh, that the speech celebrates also today. But we like being so temporary. Some of 
sure we're out. And each succeeding feast goes by, as an earlier sermon mentioned, that we are strangers and pilgrims. Philippians 3 talks about another uh, great day, verse 20. But our conversation, that is, our citizenship, is in heaven. It's not here on earth. It's not here in the politics that we employ. In fact, as we read about the book of Revelation, it says that come out of her, come out of Babylon, my children. From, uh, we look to heaven from whence also we look to the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, According to the working whereby he is able to even to subdue all things to himself. So this is our hope. Our hope to leave this earthly tabernacle in exchange for an everlasting spiritual body that will not wear out as it is wearing out on us today. First Thessalonians said this. Paul said this in First Thessalonians five twenty three. He said, "And the very God of peace." Sanctify you holy all throughout. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes when we see others who are going through trial and maybe suffering, and you can tell that they need some uplifting, you know, we can get down on our knees or when we stand before the Lord our God and pray for those people, knowing that they need prayer. We all stand in need of prayer, don't we? Now, eight days ago was the Day of Atonement, on the tenth day of the seventh month, which reminded us of you know the need for repentance, forgiveness, redemption, and the blood of Christ that represents the covering of our sins and the reason He paid uh, our price for us, the sin under which is dead. But in the atonement, we saw the figurative removal of sin from the holy place and from among the people, then made holy. That was made holy by the sacrifice of the birth of the Lord. Atonement also foretells of God's divine mercy extended to the nation of Israel once a year. And we may also see in it the coming day of redemption that is coming to all people before the millennial reign of Christ that this Feast of Tabernacles represents. We see Satan vow because he's the one who deceives everybody into all of the uh, sins, the wrongdoings that they have. Satan is bound. He's cast into the bottomless pit to deceive the nations no more until a thousand years are finished. But it is in this age right now that we can see the ravages of sin and ruin taking place. Today there is a world of trouble going on outside our doors, down the street, next door. Out by our gates. But we know that since the creation of Adam and Eve and Adam and Eve, multiple billions of men and women and children have lived and died, many through wars, crimes, uh, pogroms, ethnic cleansing, massacres, injustice, and persecutions of one sort or another. And when we read ahead of what the Bible tells us, and, uh, that Jesus told, tells us in the book of Matthew, that those days 
to hear about and to see Bia, you know, and continue and lose of course, the ongoing war between Ukraine, even with the threat of nuclear war. That's nonetheless remembered when they covered uh, Vietnam. You see it on TV. Uh, it's told that there's a smoke burning in the distance with a rock on the top of it where it has parked. And I was looking where the heck is anybody looking at that smoke? I said, it reminds me of Vietnam. He said, oh, were you in Vietnam? And I said, no, I see on TV. So in our day today, we have access to all sorts of things that are going on in this world. So we know that there are other places on earth where troubles are brewing, major floods, protests, riots, spreading drought, as well as shootings. But here's what Jesus said to us, let no man deceive you, for many false prophets rise, shall rise, and deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars, and rumors of wars, that, but be ye not, see ye that ye be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. So so Jesus knows the situation. He knows where we are in this uh, midst of trouble. The Father knows. Everything is in their hands. So don't be troubled. There is a great plan of salvation that is being worked out for all mankind, and especially for you and me who are here at this feast. Nevertheless, he told his disciples to watch and pray. It doesn't mean you should watch so that we won't be deceived by what we hear like in the conspiracy theories and the lies and the hypocrisy in this land of ours. <clears throat> of course, to not be complacent. We are to be alert and ready, but we also need to put on the full armor of God no matter what. So in Luke 21, 36, it says, Watching therefore and pray always that you may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. All these things that must come to pass and so that we may stand before the Son of God. Because I imagine that in His presence, even as we stand in the presence of someone who is much more Respectable, much more uh, presentable, 
experience that. Mark 13, verses 32 to 34. No man knows when that day will come. Of that day and that hour knows no man, no, not the angels, which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. So we have, you know, a lot of prophets that we have you know, predict, uh, even down to the, the very time. But take you heed, take heed, watch and pray, for you don't know when that time is. For the Son of Man is as a man taking the journey who left his house and gave authority to his servants, to every man, to every man his word, and commanded the porter to watch. Now, the porter is, you know, like the doorkeeper. He is to be on alert. John 16.33, Jesus said to his disciples, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. That you might have peace. And it is our peace of mind that Satan wants to take from us. He's trying to shake us up by making us angry, suspicious, vengeful, speaking ill of one another, of things we really don't understand. But Jesus said in this world, you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Cheer up, he said. And when I see that word cheer up, I think of one time that I was feeling kind of down and I was speaking to my daughter and she could detect, you know, the, the, the dishonesty in my voice. Grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to 
Jesus. So Jesus can identify with every our every pain, our every need, our every loss, our every heartache, our every loneliness, our every fear, our every doubt. As Emmanuel, he is God with us in spirit. And as the Father pities his children, he knows that we are but flesh, because we all have flesh. Grown-ups and children also have flesh, some big, some small. But Jesus said, cheer up, I have overcome the world. So he understands us, and as the Scripture said, cast all your care upon him, for he cares for you as a Christian child. And he said, come unto me, and I will give you rest. First Corinthians 10, 13, Paul tells us that there uh, has no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is the faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will, with the temptation, also make a way of escape that ye may be able to bear it. So in John, I mentioned this once before at a Disney, uh, I don't know if you want but there is a mark on the bow of a ship that's called the Plimstall Mark, and it was worth it to me up there to balance how much weight is on the ship and its limitation. And God knows our limitations. We have a mark that He knows about us that we can barely sometimes set at that very level. Then again, sometimes we are able to even go beyond because the Father knows how our limits. Like we're like a ship on the water. He knows our limitations. In John 14, 1 through 3, it comes with the word, Let not your hearts be troubled. Don't let your mind be troubled. You believe in God. You believe in God. Believe also in me. So we look what's ahead. It says in verse 2, In my Father's house are many mansions. Were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, for you, and if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. So we know there is peace in this land upon the Mount of Olives in that day. So He's preparing a room for each one of us, a, a room in the family of God. Revelation two seven says, "He that has an ear." Let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. To him that overcomes, will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Revelation 5, 9, and they sung a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. You were slain, and you have redeemed us to God 
by the blood, by your blood, out of every kindred, out of every tongue, out of every people, and out of every nation. People who have put their trust in God. You may not recognize them because maybe they're of another faith, but God knows who they are. He knows who we are. And has made us, verse 10, unto God, kings and priests. Knowing this sometimes, if it's such a crown of glory, some of us, you know, really, you know, really lust after that, that power and let it go to our heads, perhaps in a self-righteous way. But this uh, reward, this is a reward ruling the way once before. But in the Psalms 84, verses 10 through 11, we are tempted by these words of King David. He said, For a day in your courts is better than a thousand. I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord is the sun and the shield, and the Lord will give grace and glory, and no good thing will be held be withheld from them that walk uprightly. In First Peter chapter one, verses three through four, you can read it, and we have a lot of new hope by the resurrection. Revelation 17, a great event. Behold, he comes with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. So, so be it. Amen. Earth is where we know the cause of this thing is taking place. But we see a new heaven and a new earth, a great event. Second Peter 3, verses 7 through 13, talks about this new heaven and earth. And you can read about that. So, verse 13 of that chapter, Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens uh, and a new earth. Because, you know, earth is temporary also, and so is every human being. But man has corrupted the earth. He's polluted the waters. He's polluted the air. Polluted the minds of so many. Satan is the great deceiver. So we live in a time of increasing lawlessness, and it says, "Iniquity shall abound, and all the hands shall wax cold." But the Father is raising children like you and me in all nations of the earth, not just here in Tulsa. Galatians three seven through nine. Satan is at work, walking about as a, as a lion, seeking whom he may devour. And he sometimes will prejudice our mind against our fellow uh, neighbors, against certain people. He's prejudicing our minds. But for that great event that is to come, we see in 1 Thessalonians 4.16, and that's the coming of Jesus Christ. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. But in the meantime, what are we going to be doing? It says in 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant, because you know the devil's walking about. And the second thing is that we are to rejoice in the Lord always. We 
the middle of Deuteronomy 16. Rejoicing in the Lord always, says the Apostle Paul in Philippians 4 4. Be joyful in the Lord, rejoice in his salvation. Psalm 35. Wait upon the Lord, for in your patience possess ye your souls. Possess ye your souls. So, don't let things like anxiety or impatience or fear or weariness or weariness and well-doing make us want to give in. Don't let these things possess us and overtake us and stir and steer us the wrong way. The Lord is our rock. He is our anchor. And salvation belongs to the Lord. Again, in Psalm 27, 14, again, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. So draw on the promise of God and have faith and have hope and have charity. And it's not God's, and not God's desire that any should die, but that all should come to repentance. There are all kinds of abominations, aberrations, and things that we abhor that is disgusting to us. God doesn't like those things either, but he views it in a different light because he knows who the instigator of it is. So he has given us a plan, given sinners the same grace and salvation that uh, he has given us who are here today. Ephesians 2, 1 through 5. If you read all that. So let us not be quick to condemn those who may not know the importance of, say, like the holy days or the Sabbath, because it is Jesus who will judge the world to come. And we will have a part in that conversion process when the most incorrigible people in history will see the error of their ways, and many shall repent and accept Jesus as their Savior. God the Father is not calling everyone at this time, which is, you know, pretty obvious. But that day will come, and many people shall go and stay, come, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us our, of his ways. And we will walk in his paths, for out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord, of the Lord from Jerusalem, Isaiah 3, 3. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations that came against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to worship the king of Israel. The Lord of hosts and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles, Zechariah 14. So we look forward to that time that this Feast of Tabernacles lets us glimpse of, gives us a glimpse of. That great day is coming, and this feast points to that. Finally, Revelation 11 15. And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven, saying, the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. So let's keep some of these things in mind as we finish out the feast. It's only the third day, and we have a lot 